Welcome to this week's Made in Scotland podcast, sponsored by Ogilvy Ross. I'm Gary Robinson. This week's guest is uh, a man of many, many talents, many skills. Farmer, entrepreneur, businessman, um, tourist. I was going to call you a guru, but you wouldn't like that. No, no, you wouldn't like that. You wouldn't like that. It's Mike Forbes. Uh, Mike is uh, the owner of uh, Forbes of Kingeni, based here in Angus in Scotland, and and a beautiful estate it is. Um, But really keen, Mike, to talk to you about your early days uh, and um, and just about life in general. Your thoughts on leadership we will cover, and and maybe some aspects of of your life as well, and and what's got you here today. So tell me about the the early days. Well, firstly, thanks for having me along, Gary. It's very kind of you to consider someone um, who I class as being relatively small in the magnitude of all the other people you've had. Um, so, But uh, with regards to my childhood and background, um, contrary to belief, uh, I was actually born in Epping in England. My parents, um, ha- who were married um in Scotland, uh, decided to farm in England on one of my grandfather's farms. And during that time, that's when they had me. Um, Dad didn't enjoy farming in England uh, um, at all. Um, And we decided, or they decided, that they wanted to move when I was at the ripe old age of two to come to Omaki in Dundee. So when I was two, that's when we moved up. I was born in Epping. Um, and uh, went straight into Newbigging Primary School um, and uh, had a great time there, met a lot of little kids and uh, then moved to Dundee High, had a short while in Dundee High before I went to Gordonston. All my dad's uh, brothers and dad were in Gordonston. Uh, I was in Gordonston and all my sisters went to Gordonston. So how, how many generations had been in farming prior to you? Um, well, my, prior to your dad being in England. Well, my granddad actually wasn't a farmer at all. He he started his life wrapping parcels in the, bot- in the bottom of a, 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 a high street store in London and then decided to come up uh, to Slane's Park at Kinef and uh, had uh, four boys after marrying um, Elizabeth uh, Milne, um, my granny. And um, from there, he managed to successfully... Uh, get a farm for each one of his sons. And in doing that, you know, he he was not a typical farmer. He didn't think like a typical farmer. Uh, he was a very lateral thinker and um, uh, was, I think, um, inspirational to the boys um, in a lot of the things he did. And that, I think, has probably had a knock-on effect to myself. And your mom's American? Yeah, mom's American. Um, quite a romantic story there. Um uh, many years ago, uh, my um, aunt invited mother, who was at finishing school in Switzerland, to come over for a long weekend. And one of the stipulations to my mother at the time was that she was not to fall in love with a Graham Forbes. And as you can imagine, that was the very first thing she did. She fell in love with Graham Forbes. Um, and um, the romance started from there. Uh, Dad did not have enough money to go to America to ask her to marry him, so he worked his way across in a cattle boat. He borrowed um, money from uh, my mum's mum, Granny, uh, to buy an engagement ring. He bought an engagement ring, asked mum to marry her, and then he left mum in America to come back because he could not afford to take mum with him. He then worked at home to get enough money money to bring mum home, uh, as it were. So 
Um, it, quite a romantic story, and that's what started, I suppose, the uh, Forbes family here. Your father seems to be a very, very focused man. Very focused, very determined. Do you get that? Is that? Do you? Are you chip off the old block? He is incredibly focused, but you know he has the ability in business and to roll with the punches. And and you know he is a very diverse businessman um, in his own right. Um, uh, but he has a, an incredible ability to pull people together to make them feel at one in, during negotiation and then be really tough in it. And I suppose one of the things, the core things, values he said to me um, over the years is, listen, Mike, it's imperative that you do the hardest bargaining deal you possibly can do. And once you've done that deal, you stand by that deal. And I think that's a pretty sound business ethic um, uh, to, to base all, all decision-making on or, or, or business propositions. And unfortunately, not all businesses operate or run like that, or indeed have that ethos. No, no, they don't. Um, but I've been pretty rigorous in everything I've done, having a formula um, of uh, the way I would like things run. And I also believe in the staff need to feel uh, part of the business. And to do that, they need to be properly informed. And it forms part of, of the leadership uh, um, I take and, and the role I play in driving my businesses forward. So you've you've you still have the farm, of course, and it's grown and grown, and and you're famous for your for your pigs and your berries and your peas. Um, how long have you had the farm, and then how did the Forbes of Kingeni Estate come out of that? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. We've we've had the farm now for fifty years. My dad was a first generation farmer on that Forbes farm or on the Omaki farm, and I'm the second generation. When we when we I took over, I was twenty one, um, and I just married Gail, and the farm was around seven hundred acres in size, and um, had quite small components of what I have at the moment because I expanded that. But on the farm there was a overgrown and very rundown um, boathouse with a uh, small lock-in on the side of it, and it was just used by all the kids and, and, and all the locals as a bit of a den of iniquity. Just for those who, who may be listening to this abroad or even south of the border, a lochin? A lochin is a small loch, and the name O'Mackie, and you'll probably hear it in, in this interview used several times, in Gaelic is land of the up and downs. Um, and going back to the boathouse, you know, that was part of the farm and uh, I had a, 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 a sport called fishing, which I thoroughly enjoyed and as a kid grew up with that and uh, flat, uh, from, from fishing the, the, the little burns in the glens with worms, I moved to fly fishing and from fly fishing I moved to competition fly fishing and from there... Um, I became national fly fishing champion for Scotland in the early 90s and then captain Scotland. I then won the Phoenix Salver in Ireland, which is the best Scottish rod in international. And that was, I suppose, a key to the decision making uh, in re resurrecting what was the old boathouse and a very silted up overgrown pond. Um, and uh, I, it's not everything to, to why I went to, to diversify into that. Um, I suppose the key driver in, in, in me making a decision that I needed to diversify was that the pig business 
was going through some horrendous times. In the UK, we were, we were killing, when I started pigs, around 300,000 bacon pigs a week. Today, we kill only 150,000. And during that, that series of events where, which saw the pig industry collapse, I became very nervous that all my eggs were in one, one basket and looked to diversify. And knowing a lot about fishing um, and um, wanting to, to promote that, I thought, well, people, in fact, will want to come and see what a national champion has created. And that, in fact, was wrong. They didn't want to come and see a national champion, what he'd created. You know, they, they, what they wanted to have was a, a place, a, a fishery built by a fisherman that for fishermen. So I understood what they wanted and the things that drove them to go fishing. It wasn't because I was some fantastic fisherman or some incredible guy. That played very little um, part of, in, in the end result, to be honest with you. And was that a little bit of a blow to your ego? You know, I'm not I'm not an egotistic guy. I'm hugely competitive, but I'm not an egotistic guy. Um, but uh, I'm a proud individual. And I think getting egos and proudness mixed are two very important things that you shouldn't do. Um, and, and I think some people who don't know me would think I'm very egotistic, but really the matter of fact is that I'm a very proud individual. I'm proud of, of, of the things I've created. I'm proud of the people who work for me. I'm proud of my children and all my family and my family's family. And that is a huge difference from being an egotistic, someone driven by um, awards and, and, and lapels. Now I've got awards and I've got cups and I've got medals, gold medals, but that's because I'm hugely competitive. It's not because I'm some wizard who's wanting to be some, you know, looked up at by everybody. I'm just a Joe Bloggs at the end of the day. So we went from the uh, from the boathouse, the Leannan boathouse, to to what you have today, which is a sprawling estate with beautiful lodges, with a restaurant, with a fantastic facility for for weddings, which the business has grown year on year, double digit growth uh, in in certain instances. Um, how how much of a battle has that been? I know that there are other battles in, on the horizon, but but to get from you know re, redoing the boathouse, which is beautiful, to what you've got today, um, if you can condense the answer, because I know it would be a big one. But how how did you get there, and what were the major challenges? It, it w there was a huge challenge, and and for a farmer to do enter into the public domain was the learning curve was massive, and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I don't mind admitting that. But what I never did was I never buried my head in the sand and, and just expected mistakes to disappear. I learned from mistakes and moved on. One of the big decisions, in fact, probably the biggest decision for going the route I went down was that I thought fishermen would want to come and utilise a nice place, restaurant, lodges, call it what you want, um, and they would share in that, in that bigger experience. And I was wrong. What they wanted to do was they still, I couldn't get them to break away from bringing a sarnie and a soup along for a day's fishing in the outdoors. And I had to make one big decision. Do I just stick with this pretty backward way of, of doing, which is, which is romantic and fishing, and that's what part, part of it is getting away from all of this, or do I say, right, I'm actually going to become a destination. I'm actually going to be something special in the east of Scotland and I'm going to put my flag in the ground and I'm going to stand by that and I'm going to bring things to that that makes people want to come to me and that's what I decided to do. Uh, a question we're asking all our guests, and there is a, there is a format, Mike, to these uh, podcasts, is we're asking uh, individuals to reveal 
something that's taken them to a to a, a dark place and and how they then battled it and came through the other side yeah i I knew you were going to ask that, and I've debated it and and i and I've decided just to be uh, my normal <laughs> self and blunt and open i did I've been in a very dark place, i mean very dark place, close to dying. Um, and it, it's quite tricky to discuss, but um, if you bear with me, I will, I will tell you about it. Um, several years ago, I was di- diagnosed with leukemia, and um, uh, m- the leukemia wasn't just straightforward in the sense that I did manage to get clear of the first uh, uh, leukemia uh, uh, disease that hit me, but very shortly after, within a year, I was actually diagnosed a second time with the most aggressive type of leukemia you can get, which is acute, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, Philadelphia positive. The most aggressive you can get, and it kills an awful lot of people. And the darkest moment was when the doctor said to me I had that, and he said that he couldn't give me all the preparation I needed to accept a transplant because I'd had so much from my previous leukemia. And that is like falling off the edge of a cliff and staring death in the face. And it makes me quite emotional thinking about it, so you'll just have to bear with me. But uh, what happened was that um, he, I think, gave me a 10% chance of survival. I was very fortunate, and I had a um, donor match, a sibling donor match, and my sister Carol. And uh, due to that, it, it set me um, probably better chance of surviving it than than most. But the, the bottom line was he couldn't get me in a position to accept the donor transplant. And that position is you have to have no 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 um, body immunity at all. So he has to kill all the cells in your body. And if he did that, he would have killed me. And he said to me categorically, I'm going to take you as close to killing you as I can, Mike, because that's the only way I'm going to give this a chance of survival. And... He did, and he, 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 he lo and behold, um, managed to, to, to get me as close to it. I still had 10% of my own body cells in that, and if you can imagine putting someone else's in there, they still have the ability to fight that. And that's his concern was that my 10% left inside of me would have fought my sister Carol's um, bone marrow, and uh, that would kill it and then, in, in fact, make it useless to me. But it didn't happen. I managed to survive that. The bone marrow embedded it in itself in my bone. Carol's bone marrow embedded itself in my bone, and it then started to ignite and um, grow in 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 the way that she had produced it. So I, uh, I managed to avoid that. So um, that was the, was the closest, uh, you know, darkest area of my my whole life, and uh, complicated and and made a little worse by the fact that I'd had a son, Cameron, who did 15 years of leukemia and three relapses. So I felt I was dragging my family through some horrendous thing. And funnily enough, I never at any stage worried about myself and the feelings of potentially dying. I was more worried about the hell I was going to take my whole family through again after seeing 15 years of, of their brother, um, my son, um, going through horrendous periods. And that drove you to, to you know, mentally. I, I can't even begin to imagine how you cope with anything like that mentally. But is, was that the driving factor that, that kept you going? There was quite a few parts that kept me going. Um, and 
uh, I find a faith along the way in, in an incredible set of circumstances, which because I would have been an atheist prior to leukemia and um, found a faith along the way. And, and I, when I sat down and discussed it with my father, he said, listen, son, it needed more than a faith and it needed more than a doctor to tell you that you do it. You needed to have positive mental attitude. And I think that was a massive part in me getting through everything that I got through. On the flip side of that really tough question, and I thank you for that really honest answer, Mike, um, share with us a highlight, a professional or a personal highlight that that really, really stands out for you. You know, being national champion of your country in your chosen sport can't get any higher, and being captain of your country at international level can't be higher, but... To, to push that aside, things which stand out for me, you know, I was I was recently voted UK runner-up UK Arable Farmer of the Year. I was recently voted uh, Angus County Ambassador of the Year. Um, I have a small building development that was voted um, luxury small development in the UK of the year. These are things which have meant a lot to me, and I, I don't I don't hang my hat on any of them. You know, I'm just built that way. You know, you, if you get Mike Forbes, you get 110%. And let's, let's go back to leadership, which you touched on earlier. Um, here's, a, here's one for you. Have you changed your leadership style since going through that incredible illness? Have you changed your approach? I, I do, yeah. There's, there's no question I've changed my approach. I've changed it in life as well as leadership. And... Uh, I still have, have a pretty hard approach to doing business deals, but when it comes to leadership, I have mellowed enormously. Um, and to the, some, some, to the extent some people might say I'm soft, um, to my staff, I hope they would say that, that I'm more at one with them. And uh, I, I think it's very important. Sorry, I'm dying to ask, and you'll tell me to sod off if you don't like it, and know you will. But So were you a bit of an ogre before? I think, you know, prior to, and it's, this, if you go back to prior to leukemia, and I think this is one of the reasons and God's intervention took place. I firmly believe that I thought I was indestructible. I thought that nobody should stand in my way. I deserved the right to drive forward at my pace and have nobody intervene. And I was so wrong. I was wrong on many fronts. And I do believe it was a good Lord's way of saying, son, I'm in charge of your destiny. You will do what I say when I'm ready to do it. And that has brought humility to me. Okay. Okay. Sorry to interrupt, but I thought I must ask that question before I lose it. Um, what, what, are the, what are the attributes that you look for in, in leaders? Because, you know, you, you're, you are probably, I would like to imagine, going to put your feet up at some point and relax and enjoy life. But it's a family business. So what are you expecting from, from the next generation of Forbes in terms of leadership? What attributes should they be showing? I, I think if you go back a little prior to that again, for me... Um, I want my children to, um, you know, it's not all about the exams. It never has been for me. It's understanding, having a common sense and a value um, uh, for a pound. And if they understand the value of a pound and have common sense, they can go further in life than any exam will ever take them. And that, to me, is really, really important. Um, but when it comes to to leadership, you know, and you touch on that and and. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm loving having my daughter Libby working for me at the moment. 
um, and and working with her and, and trying teaching her some of the things I've learnt. Um, but and I think it is so important that you can do everything that your staff can do and that your, your people, your family, the people who are coming on behind you can see that you don't mind getting dirty at any stage and that you don't mind sticking it in when this things get tough and really getting your, your sleeves rolled up. It's absolutely imperative. But I think it's important that they understand your vision and they see the steps in which you plan to take to get there. Okay, steps are never always followed. It's it, There's always wobbles along each way. But it's how you deal with those wobbles that are important. It's not how they obstruct you. And, and I'm not maybe explaining it that well, but I have a very clear definition of where I want to go and, and I have clarity better than most. Um, but it's it's taking people alongside you and letting them understand that. And I think prior to leukemia, I wasn't very good at that. And I think to take people on side, whether it's your family, whether it's the people you, 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 you know, I have 250 people work for me, whether those people understand what you want, I think is imperative to a successful business. If they understand what you want and they're getting job satisfaction through that, I think you will have a better workforce and a better team than anyone else could compete with. We're moving on to the, the part of the podcast where we are talking about motivation and, and uh, inspiration for people who are listening to this and, and, and learning a lot. Um, I just want to touch on technology. This is a question that we're asking all the guests as well. And we've had varying answers. But technology, as we know, has changed dramatically over the past 30 years. So, you know, from me nipping down the road to phone my mates from the phone box and putting 5p into now having iPads and all that sort of stuff, technology has changed dramatically for all of us. Does that worry you or does that excite you for the future? It wholly excites me. Um, and I was one of the first guys to um, use a computerised system to record all my pigs' um, series of events on the farm. And uh, that was the basis for me picking up computers and working with them in a very early age. I, I, th I think it's incredible where we've gone and you've got two options. Either you embrace that as a businessman or person or you push it to some side and I, to, to, to one side. And I know some people who have done that. And I would encourage everybody in business to embrace it because it makes you more efficient. You, there is there is things you can tap into to allow access to all over the world. And that obviously includes the World Wide Web that we now are faced with today. But I would include that technology in, in allowing you to become a better business person and to allowing you to, to utilise the tools of, of what we've, we've now been given through that. And I think that's just hugely important. And I take it from what you're saying that your life has been made easier from when you were a 21-year-old farmer to where you are now through technology. Oh, massively so. Um, but it, farming's different because you've got the vagaries of weather to deal with and that always throws um, huge issues at you which can't be conquered by technology. I think my grandfather typically said, and, and just I use this as a small um, caveat, that if you're buying a combine to do 100 acres... Um, that has the capacity to do it, he always said you should make sure the combine has the capacity to do that and another half again, so 150 acres. So if things are tight and the weather's against you, you can you have a combine that can go basically double the speed of a combine that you would have bought just to do your acreage. And that allows you to deal with some of the, the, the improbabilities that weather throws at you. 
And we found doing the series, two of the most difficult questions really are the one about the music, which we'll come on to shortly, but this one is about a book. Books are really, really important in life, I believe, uh, and I think the majority of my guests share that as well. Can you suggest a book that may... And I'm trying to avoid saying that's changed your life because I want it to change somebody else's life who's listening to this. Can you suggest something? Yeah, I can. And um, this book changed my life and enormously, and it will change others. There's no question about that in my mind, none whatsoever. And it's a book called Faith Like Potatoes. It's written by a chap called Angus Button, Buchan, who's an evangelist, who's a Scotsman that... Um, uh, started his life in the northeast of Scotland and then went across to um, South Africa and uh, set up a, a, um, a farm that was called Shalom, um, which is Zulu for peace. And the farm takes in uh, kids that have got AIDS and all sorts of other things. But when I say faith like potatoes, it stems from uh, it be him being a farmer and, and he was a rough um, and I use the terminology, uh, you may want to dock it, but here he asked, farmer, he loved rugby and drink, and he was just typical of a farmer. And something the good Lord had told him to grow a field of potatoes in a uh, middle of South Africa during one of the um, toughest periods uh, to grow a potatoes. Um, and he grew the potatoes against all the advice of his neighbours and people um, in the area, and he grew the potatoes. And when those potatoes needed rain, which is at tuber initiation, when they start to grow and bulk up, he got rain. When they needed rain to bulk up and become a crop, he got rain. When he needed no rain because blight might have set in, he got dry weather. And he reared the most fantastic crop of potatoes in a, an El Nino year, which is the toughest year in anyone's life, but also in the middle of a desert, basically in the middle of South Africa. And he managed to grow that crop of potatoes, and that gave him a huge sum of money, and he put that sum of money to good use. And uh, the book goes into great detail. The book actually, um, Angus Buchan does conferences, or not conferences, that's the wrong word. He does um, uh, Mighty Men conferences, they're called, actually, by the real name, um, where he brings, and he believes he was put on this earth now to change men on their beliefs in the good Lord. And because men are the hardest people to, complain, to, to, to convert to the good Lord, he believed. And... Uh, typically farmers and, and their robust lifestyle um, that was the hardest and that's why he believes he was chosen to get it across to men and he now holds mighty men conferences the first one he held was on his own farm in Shalom there were 6,000 people came to it the set next year there was 12,000 people in the third year he needed to take the biggest marquee that was made in this world and put it on his farm and he had to hire the local farms to put the uh, people who came to that Mighty Men conference. And today he has to use rugby stadiums to hold these conferences. And that book was massive. And I, I as I said earlier in, the, in this program, was an atheist, um, as good as. Um, and when I first had leukemia, my best friend from South Africa, a chap called Ian Walmsley, said to me, will you please read this book, Faith Like Potatoes? And I said, no, I'm going to deal with this leukemia myself. I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't need to read your book and I don't have time for that. Um, typical of, of, of the, the character I was. 
the second time I got leukemia and I was actually in Beetson in Glasgow and um, I was uh, very close to the edge. I, I had been given all the chemo. I was close, I suppose, to dying. And I received a fax in isolation in the Beetson. And that's never been done before. To, they just don't get faxes in, in isolation. You don't get any form of... And I got this nurse coming through to me with this paper. She handed it to me. I can remember it as clear as it was yesterday. She gave me this paper and she said, we've had the most obscure fax, Mr Forbes, uh, but it is to you and I think you should read it. And it was directly from Angus Buckingham. <clears throat> and he said to me, Mike, your good friend Ian Walmsley, has come to speak to me on your behalf. And he says he realises you are in a difficult place. And he wants me to say a prayer for you. And uh, I'm just letting you know, I'm saying a prayer for you and thinking about you. And that was a turning point in me thinking, you know, there's more to this, this whole picture. And um, I then read the book... <laughs> At the end of the book, um, I found myself at the end of my own bed in isolation, praying to the good Lord and saying the sinner's prayer, which is at the end of the book. I would encourage people to read it. I mean, Angus Buchan hasn't, ha hasn't had a straightforward life. I mean, he ran, on, ran over one of his own children with a tractor and, and it tested him his resolve to the end. And he's actually collapsed and and died at a big men, mighty men's conference. The air ambulance took him away. Everyone thought he was he had died on stage. He, they all prayed for him, and he returned the next day. The doctor had said, we can see no reason why he's had a heart attack or what's gone wrong, but it's a miracle that he's still here. And he puts it down to the fact that so many men praying for him on that one occasion. It seems funny, and, and I'm no Bible thumper. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still a robust, pretty hairy-ass farmer myself. But there, it's changed my dynamics of life and the way I look at things. And and um, I'm far more appreciative of people and and things that that mean an awful lot to me. And I find it quite hard to to say it because I'm so emotional about that whole series period in my life. But. You know, I, 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 you know, I told you in the beginning, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm just saying it the way I, I feel it, Gary. One more question before we get to your music choice, Mike. Um, the title of the podcast series is Made in Scotland. What, what do you love about this country of ours and its people? Oh, where do you want me to start, Gary? I, I've travelled around the world, I've been all over, mum's American, I've whole family in America, I've worked my way around the world, been all over it. And I can't tell you, there is no better place in Scotland, anywhere in the world, and there's no better county than Angus. And I believe that from the bottom of my heart. And I go to the most furthest or most wildest places that Scotland provides. I've just come back from Gary and Hine in Outer Hebrides. That was incredible. It's beauty, it's remoteness. Outer Hebrides have been Shetland, Orkney, Scotland itself. It doesn't matter where it's the glens, the hills, the rivers, the people, the people, the warmth. I could go on endlessly about this. And, I, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm just so happy that, that you asked me that question because it means so much to me. I, I, you know, people say to me, you know, why are you so passionate? And, and, and 
I, 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 I virtually feel like saying, listen, I've got heather in my veins. I don't have blood. I've got bloody heather. It's the same color. I can't, can't help myself. And, and I love it. Um, and um, um, I'm, I'm so proud to be a Scots and, and be part of it. And I hope I can, I can leave, leave a, 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 you know, a, a history of, of things that I might have done that, that, that my family can be proud of and, and that people in Scotland can say, you know, that bugger Mike Forbes, he really was a good guy. Look what he's done for his county. Look what he's done for people. Look what he, you know, and that's why I do so much for cancer research. I do so much for charities and I do as much as I possibly can. And, and without also the support and love of my wife, Gail, none of that would have been possible. I probably, you know, I've, I've spoken about Angus Buchan and, and, and frankly, I should probably have said without my wife, Gail, I certainly wouldn't have been here. And on to the, the song choice now. Before we go into that, Mike, Mike Forbes, thank you so much for being with us today and, um, and taking us on, on, on your journey. Really, really appreciate it. And I hope that many people listening to this do as well. Before you give us the, the title and the artist of your song choice to finish the podcast, tell us a little bit, why does this mean so much to you, this song? Well, you, you just I finished the last question there by speaking about my wife, Gail. And, you know, she's so, been so instrumental throughout my life. Um, and we both love music. And, and right from the early days where... You know, we, we both listened to Brian Ferry when we were going out in our in our teens and, and we both loved Simple Minds and U2 and, and the early 80s music and we could go on on from that. Um, and I actually bro- went round the world prior to asking Gail to marry me um, and on my way around the world I listened in New Zealand to Dire Straits and they were absolutely incredible in, uh, and it was the first um, live um, uh, concert I'd been to in an, in an outdoor stadium and it was incredible and I thought nothing could beat that until mo- till recently um, and Gail and I went to see uh, Kings of Leon and I took her there uh, not Kings of Leon, uh, Coldplay and I took her there uh, for her anniversary to see Coldplay and I, I, I sprung it on her as a last moment but I, I mentioned Kings of Leon there it's so hard if you love music to to stipulate a certain song and then stipulate a certain album and I've I've played with this, and you know because we do both love Kings of Leon and Red Hot Chili Peppers and and but this this last song um, I think kind of encapsulates where we were because we went to to Hamden Stadium on our anniversary uh, to see, to hear this group and. During this song, I think we, we well we both burst into tears, and I think we, I don't know whether it was everything we've had, all the troubles we've been faced with, with Cameron, with my leukemia, with building a business that we didn't really understand, taking that all forward. It just seemed to all come out in in this in this concert, and it was the most incredible thing for me, and. I have to say that, you know, once again, you know, without Gail, you know, I would not have been um, here today. And, and this song, I, I think, which means so much to both of us about just our life, I suppose, and everything that we've done uh, is coming out in, in, in what we went to see. 
apart from it being the, the video to, to the song being an incredibly fun video, it's set in a jungle with some chimpanzees, which is, it's just, it's the most, and I, I would love people to go and, 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 and have a look at the video, the official video, uh, and, and see. But the, the, the song and the um, group uh, played at Hamden was Coldplay, Adventure of a Lifetime.
The Made in Scotland podcast, sponsored by Ogilvy Ross, was produced by Chris Kidd for Gardine Studios and GRC.